0: Hi, my name is Nick Thompson and I run holisticvet.co.uk. We're based near Bath in England.
1: I'm Dr. Brendan Clark. I'm based at Towerwood Vets in West Yorkshire.
2: And my name's Dr. Conor Brady, the non vet of the gang from dogsbirth.ie. And together we are. you Pet Medics. <laughs> I'm with these two
0: guys, and we are called Raw Pet Medics, and we are going to be talking the very hot potato of sustainable regenerative farming and beef in particular. It's a big subject, so we're just going to concentrate mainly on beef, but not religiously so. And we are just going to get a few ideas out on the table. We're not making judgments, but just really feel very passionately that we need to get this stuff out on the table and 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 look into things. Guys, how are you? Brendan, how are you? Oh, fine now, I've settled
1: down after the initial glitch. Sorry guys, we're five minutes beyond. That was yeah. me rebooting.
2: <laughs> we're,
1: we're, near, we're here, we're here.
2: Brady, how are you doing? Good, yeah, I'm great. Nice great. bit of weather today. Nice big long walk along the top of Brayhead and here in Greystones. Just a lovely way to start the day. No, don't do that enough. You know when you go on a cracking walk, you actually go to that really nice spot and you go, I need to do this every day. I feel amazing, better than any yoga. So um that was just a lovely start of the day. So yeah, feeling good. Raring to go for this because this is just such a interesting topic. And it kind of all started with your you did a post. Tell us about your post and uh and 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 uh, we'll Yeah, we'll like move I, forward from there. I think we've been talking about it a lot. You guys have certainly been talking about it a lot. I conclude my book with it. And uh, you know, I, I just think it's 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 a relevant, very relevant hot topic at the moment about. Uh, certainly if you look at the new UN climate report and there's like eat less meat it seems to be all over the media and when you look into uh, the carbon footprint of the stuff that's going on at the moment it's a little bit hair raising and you look at it and it's as me uh, and we'll talk about the veggie stuff later that alarmed me and I'm kind of thinking my god look at the amount of meat my dog is eating so The polls I put up with was like, I kind of looked at the meats on offer and going by the figures that are coming out of the UN and everything, I said, well, Jesus, beef is five or six times worse. Red meats are five or or pork and beef worse than chicken. Go for the white meats. And uh, you get a good lot of people understanding that and agreeing because they're probably reading the same material as I am. And then you get a lot of people that suddenly pop up, a lot of voices you respect, and you say, oh, no, hang on, Connor, because they haven't factored in this and this. And this is where we are tonight. I went, that is very, very interesting. So a massive pan of worms, uh, but just fiercely interesting. And so when it's explained beautifully by the likes of Bren and Nick, uh, it is it's just fantastically interesting, and it gives you a lot of hope. So doesn't matter where you are from, vegan, vegetarian, meat eaters, whatever. Uh, it's uh, it's just stuff we need to learn and get get everybody on side on uh, on the same page, you know. So uh, yeah, that's that's my thoughts on it. Where are you on it, Bren? really a journey isn't it this is this is never a fixed point and and i hope
1: tonight all of these guys you know commenting already you know hi guys um in the side comments are going to help out here because they'll have a view and i think that's a valid view and and so you know you can button at any point and just put your your things in um but really it it's always been generated there. I've always wanted to look at organic, and you, you guys know that I'm rearing some organic stuff on the um, the fields at the moment just to try and make sure that it's possible in a very extensive way. And Nick's going to talk a little bit about the realisms of what could be considered um, free-range and not, I'm sure, as we go on. But um, it was really a journey from looking at things like the Catherine Shanahan book and looking at you know why... You know some of these meats are really important for ourselves and not just our pets and then thinking about how yeah, we could make this sustainable enough you know is there enough food in the world to be able to feed our pets in this way you know are we just being typical westerners you know blinkered and thinking we can do it because we can um uh, or is there a way that we can go forward Uh, There's lots of books that you come across when you start on this thought process of how we eat. You know, just the fact that we don't eat grain could massively change the amount we eat. Okay, Uh, and that that then sort of brings into the amount that we feed our pets grain at the moment could also be massively reduced. And so we need to think a little bit about um, the whole thing of changing the process for where we're rearing meat, how we're getting that meat into our pets' dinners, you know, what part of, of, you know, is it, you know, we're going to talk about beef tonight, but there's so many other animals in the whole sphere. One little note that came up was really this whole thing about 60% of the world's, you know, farming surface area is unfarmable for arable. You know, there's no way that you can rear vegetable matter on it. So what on earth are you going to be doing? You know, if you truly think you can take animals away and then give us, you know, a vegetable option, that's realistically not going to happen. You know, you're just cutting off 60% of the farming land. Yeah, there's whole loads of processes there. And, And then it's also about this green element. You know, I've just gone out and bought an electric car. Um, you know, now being told that I shouldn't have bought an electric car because all of this stuff for the batteries. But, you know, you want to be environmentally friendly with all of this. And we've got to think about the carbon footprint. We can talk about that tonight. I think, yeah. you know, looking at that, actually the capture of carbon in grass, the amount of grass we grow, yeah, you know, um, you know and the type of grass, that's just another thing that we need to talk about tonight. Um, so look, so much um, in that journey to get to a point where i feel comfortable about eating feeding meat and trying not to alienate at all um you know those of you who've decided for whatever reason uh ethically you know just your feelings your your dietary needs to to become vegetarian you know that you've got a valid viewpoint and connor i know you're in that camp so um i you know want to listen to What's going on there?
2: Yeah. I'll just give
0: you a, a little minute and then, Connor, would you be able to just ask the questions from a vegetarian's point of view that you hear most? And we yeah. maybe, maybe Bren and I, the
2: three of us, and then maybe um, examine those. Yeah. The way I leapt to this position where I am today is that welfare has always been a concern for me, but that didn't make me become a vegetarian. Welfare has always been a very big concern for vegans in the past, but they've always been a small part of the food chain, let's face it. Uh, Then it came into uh, the the way the meat was being slaughtered, which really bothered me. And then the carbon thing came in. Carbon is my my biggie. And then boom, vegetarian. That was about three years ago. And as you were talking about it, Nick, thank you for that share of this video, this TED Talk, guys, that we'll share later on the Facebook page. Cows, Carbon and Climate by Joel Salatin. What this guy was explaining was that grass, when it's short, and we leave cattle in the same field in Ireland all year, and they graze this short grass, and that's it. He bases his whole farm on migratory patterns where they would have moved over, let the grass replenish, come back, eat it again. So he uses fencing to replicate these migratory patterns. The cattle would hit the grass every 60, 70 days because it's in that medium medium stage where it grows fastest. They harvest it, and he can produce... Uh, normal farms produce 2,500 pounds uh, American pounds in weight of grass per acre per year. His farm does four times that—10,000 pounds of grass per. That's four times the carbon being eaten by cows. And what do cows do? They poo out 50 pounds of cow pat every day, bang into the soil. That's four times the amount of carbon trapped in the grass. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's it. Yeah, that the cows eat. Now you've got instead of pumping nitrogen and crap. Fertilizers that hit our soil tables, you've got a cow pat that now builds the soil. That our soils are so depleted. We think when we eat a carrot and a pepper, it's the same thing as 40 years ago. It is a completely, compared to 40 years ago, nutritional bereft item. We think that putting nitrogen on top of soil replenishes the soil. What about all the nutrients that those plants need to create all those phyto compounds that they need? So his points were staggeringly effective. And he said his long grass has clover in it and flowers pollinators and little mammals running through it and he just says the carbon sequestration of grass is way more effective than a tree we see a tree and go look at all the carbon it took 60 years to get there or 10 years on a pine tree you know grass is just growing all the time but we don't see it so that was a real big one for me and the fact that cows then dump it out and build the soil because we have a mega problem with that at the moment we can't keep going this way but we haven't got a way out of it We've got 100 more crops, I think they said, 100 more harvests. Like, it, oh my yeah. God, that's a staggering thing to say. Oh my Jesus, I never heard that.
1: Uh, if we carry on farming the way we're farming, they reckon, you know, we will just outstrip, you know, you'll, the, with the soil erosion, with the plowing, with the, the way that we use fertilizers and pesticides and everything else, you know, 100 more harvests will start getting massive failures because yeah. it just isn't sustainable. And what have we been doing? You know, you want to be building the soil. Um, you know, that's been part of what I'm doing with the goats here. You know, I've been experimenting to try and build the soil back because it's just been so massively depleted and to transfer fields to try and keep parasite loads down and things like that. And obviously, you know, you have things that can change that stress levels and, and stuff like that. But it's it's all about trying to work out how can you build a more diverse pasture, a more diverse, you know, I've been reseeding it with wildflower reseeding it with other plants um, as well not just trying to keep it grassed up um also the amount of crop you know one of the biggest crops in this country okay in fact the biggest crop in the uk is grass it's not corn it's not wheat it's not barley it's grass yeah okay yeah. and that's what we're trapping our carbon in um, you know, the amount of carbon it takes to produce these MPK fertilisers, the amount of destruction, and that's just a carbon footprint. Look, environmental, you've got to think about building up the soil that we should be building up, not depleting every time we get yeah. out not shoving it in the rivers and back out into the ocean.
2: That's a really crucial point, right? This guy, uh, Saladin, is, is from 2,500 pounds of grass to 10,000 pounds of grass by migrating the cattle properly. So four times the amount of grass, that's four times less cereal. So he has saved 7,500 pounds per acre of weight of cereal and crap that they need. If people are wondering why is beef so carbon expensive, not so much the cow. Yeah, cows, burp and all that kind of stuff. And I don't get the methane thing, which has moved on. Okay, whatever about all that. It's the fact that CAFOs in the States, concentrated animal feed operations, which is designed by, it's initiated by by, uh, Chinese farms, the Americans took it and perfected it, and there are now there's now a thousand mega farms in the UK. The reason it's so carbon intensive is because they're trying to grow this little beastie in whatever 10, 11 months, twelve months to this half-ton animal using wheat and corn, completely unnatural food sources. So they use huge amounts of this, using huge amounts of monoculture and all the chemicals that go with it. So the footprint per kilo of that terrible quality concentration camp meat they call it. Well, look at KFO, okay. CAFO, C A F O. Look them up. It's the fact that the guys now producing, this guy's laughing like keep uh, pumping up because the, the, the grass that from 2,500 pounds per acre to 10,000 means all that free grass he just got from the air, carbon dioxide and sunlight. No transportation of this shitty grain around the place. No carbon footprint. Actually sequestering a savage amount of carbon down into the soil that gets replenished. That's what got me eating a steak with you in Birmingham two weeks ago. That video you shared with me, Nick, more than anything else. It was I, only a little one. It was. A, <laughs> it's not okay.
1: yeah, I will tell you a story. I literally, um, wedding anniversary, um, you know, and uh, went out last night, went to a, a lovely Italian restaurant, happened to look at their steaks on their the steak uh, menu. And unbelievably, and I'm sorry to all the Canadian watchers, uh, I really do apologize. Um, they had the Scottish steaks and stuff at the top. They, you know, aged 28 days, pasture-reared. You know, great. The next step down was um, stuff about barley finished. So what they're doing is adding grain in because it's a fattier consistency coming all the way from Brazil, believe it or not. The third one down was their archetypal, the best of best, grass-reared in Canada but fed. Barley for the last 150 days. CAFO, they've moved yeah. it in for six months nearly and fed them grain. Yeah. And they were passed off as the best cattle ever, the most expensive on the menu.
0: What? Because some vegans are of the opinion that we should just get rid of all beef animals off the planet. Okay. Or maybe only have them in zoos so they can grow old. Okay i.e. there wouldn't be very many okay guys i'm going to ask you what would the world look like if we got rid of all the ruminants on green pasture what would happen brent
1: uh well you couldn't i mean really realistically
0: and what are you going to go out and
1: cull all of the goats in all of the himalayas uh what what's you know it just is you know, these aren't just farm animals. Ultimately, you know, the, the buffalo and everything else have descended uh, from a wild origin. I think, you know, you just can't get rid of all of the you know, the ruminants. You end up with an ecology that would just not work.
0: Yes, the ecology of the world would collapse because they, yeah. are, they are essentially the stewards. They're keeping the, the grass trimmed. They eat little saplings so that there is, uh, you know, a decent area of grass. Therefore, them they they plough the soil with their feet because That's they're, right. such, they're, they're such, you know, uh, uh, ungainly beasts. Yeah, they will they, they plough up, which is why Joel Salatin puts his 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 beef animals onto the grass for about three days. They chew it up, they get 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 the grass right down, and then he moves them on. To another yeah. another pasture. But after that, so they are they are helping disperse seed for all these grasses and plants. And so it's if you have an ecology and you take out one element, even if it's a minor element, it's not cattle are a massive part of the the whole ecology of the
2: world. You remove them, that ecology is going to crash. So one of the questions that's come up there in the feed a few times is that. Uh, well, there's gonna be a couple, but the first one standing out is that, okay, this idea of migrating um cattle around your farm using fences and what other ways they can do it? um that's all well and good, but do we have the space to continue feeding everybody? Americans are eating ninety grams of animal protein a day, a ferocious amount of feeding of so it is it possible to produce the amount of milk, cheese, butter, meat that everybody wants in Britain, let's say, okay, sixty million people, whatever you have on that island. so Is it possible to do that with the grasslands that we have available at the moment, Uh, assuming that we can take back a lot of the wheat and corn pastures and that? Is it possible to feed everybody or is there a... a, Where people do have to understand that with this movement to save the bloody planet and keep everybody fed and alive, uh, we have to accept that you're not only eating less meat because you can't be eating 20p burgers anymore. Stop going into McDonald's and buying five hamburgers. Now it's like, You get your piece of lamb on a Sunday. People have to accept that. And and later the question will be price, which we'll come to. But what about that? Do we have the space to grow the animals in the way that Karen wants?
0: My reading of of books that we've just mentioned, Joel Salatin, The uh, Sacred Cow and Defending Beef, my reading of that, and and Bren, you've you've read at least one of those, uh, is that, yes... You can, because, as you say, Connor, you're going to take all the wheat and the corn, which is vast. You know, the whole Midwest is basically just one big field. Yeah. You put all that down to, to grass, uh, and so that will raise a vast amount of cattle. If we combine that, and we do that all over the planet, uh, on, 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 on grasslands, we reinstate grasslands, which is going to take 30, 40 years, but we've got to start it now. If we do that and we, we cultivate the uh, environments all over the world to ma- to maximally use ruminants, so goats and uh, cattle and sheep, if we do that, I, it is possible, I believe, that we can feed 10 million people, 10 billion, but if you're eating really good quality, nutritious meat, you don't need to eat that much. But And, and dogs... Well, we may have to have fewer dogs. We may have to have smaller dogs. But I think that as part of that, there will be a meat economy, good, well-raised, very happy yeah. meat economy. And I think that dogs can be part of that because I think dogs are more important than just, I don't know. It could be an essential part of it. Oh, because oh, they are oh, We for, need to get go back to health.
1: using the whole animal, yeah, not discarding
0: so much stuff
1: that, you know, oh, they they won't possibly look at that because it's got a bit of freezer burn or it's got a, you know, it's got a nose on it. Oh my God, you know, you you should almost be, you know, praying to these beasts that are giving up for us, you know, and using and respecting every last bit. So respect them when they're alive and making sure that they've got the best life possible. And so that's less per acre. Pay more for the meat, you're going to have to. You know, we've we've got to touch on this because there is a survey out there that suggests that people aren't prepared to do it. Eat less because we now know that it's not all about calories in, calories out. Your body will adapt your calorific output depending on what you're taking in. And there's a lot of hormonal stuff on there. Stop driving our our gluttony over cereals and that side of things that are driving us to eat huge portions of everything and actually get some proper nutrition into ourselves will make a massive difference. I can also reflect on what we feed to our pets because we're feeding the bits that people don't necessarily want to eat rather than grinding it down and just spreading it out as fertilizer or whatever else they need to do. Um, You know, we, we could make a massive difference. You know, we, we are missing here. It doesn't have to just be pasture. The amount of woodland that you can then put, you know, and the fact that you
2: can do a rotational system, it doesn't just have to be one animal out there. David um, David Kemp touched on that. He said, um, yeah, like don't forget arable and and cattle, uh, arable and ruminants can be used together on the farm. So you're you're doubling your output again there. It's just just mixing, mixing, you
1: know, uh, cattle goats can go through woodland. Yeah, so can pigs, so can chickens. I heard a great you know. piece
2: there that said, uh, I'm going to throw this figure out there, don't be relying on this, but they said 50% of Britain is uh, upper land or high land where you can't grow, of the pasture of the grasslands that you have is where you can't grow vegetation. And on that, you, you have sheep, essentially. But they have such a sparse amount of sheep here and there that it's just like a tiny token that they don't use these upper lands, but there's so many ruminants that can eat that material when it's handled correctly. Well, they just don't. They don't handle that correctly. It's no, no, we want the greeny grass of river basins. And it's like you've got goats that you could that could be munching to their heart's content and deer, uh, but flat faced deer, but like the the goats would just eat anything. They eat food on a stick. And so you can put those clothes up there. <laughs> zebras eat unbelievably poor diets. Have you seen what zebras eat? Like they are the absolute scavengers of herbivores. They just eat stigs and twigs and uh, twigs and twigs. Uh, uh, Around <laughs> so biscuit with a bit of toffee. Yeah, but. you know, like that. <laughs> but like, that's the sort of thing that, like these are the sort of thoughts that we want to put out there. So coming back to that UN question, because it's kind of like a uh, rhetorical, because I understand what the issue is. At the moment, we are looking, when it comes talking about carbon and the UN, they're talking about the meat that we have available at the moment. When I'm talking about smart carbon choices for my dog, I'm looking at the beef and chicken that I have available at the moment, not the non-organic ethical stuff in in the supermarket. And yes, the red meat is going to cost more, but it's been raised all wrong. So yes, the carbon of the way the meat we have the meat chain we have at the moment is wrong. So the UN would say, we, you're going to keep getting this meat, guys. So just eat less of the red stuff that we're producing, as opposed to saying, lads, we need to ditch the current setup that we have and and move towards the new way. You can't say that because they have a powerful lobby behind them so they say eat less meat which is like the american nutritional group saying move more to lose weight it's bullshit you're never going to outrun a bad diet you're never going to eat less meat because burgers are tasty so they just say that as a bullshit way to keep it going for another 10 years so very disappointed in the un that they don't take these advanced ideas and say we need to shift things because farmers are going we're not changing a thing here we're mega farms, we've got our thing, we're keeping the small farms out of business, let's face it. And we control this four or five, six small, small groups contain, con- like, control all these cattle, they're not going to change, they've got billions. So that's why the big messages don't come down to us. That's why we don't graze the highlands. That's why we don't do these things that you guys are talking about, which frustrates me immensely. Like it's, mm-hmm. again, it's it's going to be driven by customer demand, just like the raw food movement, which was they've got the guns, but we've got the numbers. We started buying raw dog food. We ignored what the messages that were being given to us, no offense, by the veterinary sector uh, in in, cahoots with the the pet food industry. And we said, no, we're going to start buying raw based on some things that we learned about on Facebook. And now there's going to be a hockey stick effect towards raw because people moved. It's going to take an awful lot of customer responsibility to start doubling up on their meat bill, Eating less meat and rewarding the likes of Dave with his ethically raised raw dog food company uh, and, and organic farmers and it's it's got there are a, a few out there. The, the thing we've got to be
1: careful of though, because there is limitations. I think uh, you know another great company that's been around for a long, long time. Okay, um, I'm not affiliated to them other than I've you know put some clients their way. Honey's real dog food. You know they've got an organic range, they've got a free range range, but They've got limitation, you know. they actually accessing the raw ingredients, yeah. you know, to their standard. Yeah, is limiting them. Yeah. We've also got on the other side, you know, there's companies out there that are trying to find ethically sourced foods, you know, doing more pasture reared stuff. But their query to their customer base, they've always, you know, when they try and bring this out and they're slightly more expensive, they end up with feedback. Well, your meat's too expensive. I want to yeah. go for cheaper. And actually, yeah. what they look at is although everybody you know commenting down the stream here at the moment is, is saying how they really want to go down ethically sourced meat and it's great for you guys, but the vast majority of the English public, okay, I'm, I'm going to pick on the English okay here um, are all talking about environmental stuff, all talking about ethically sourced meat yeah. all talking about you know how they want it um, to be just pastureed yeah. you know, that's, yeah. that's great. You've put 10% on the price, and that switches 90% of those people into no, I want to buy the cheaper one. Oh my God. That's 10% more. Now you think that actually to do that, to rear the meat in that way, it's about 50% more cost. Yeah. You know, there is you know, people need to get their heads around what they need to do with their food bill.
2: Yeah the likes of honey's pet food, you're starting 30% more, 40% more for these raw dog foods of, high, of, of higher, whatever the word quality, but a more ethical, more organic. And you're saying 10% increase is enough to drive away 90% of the market. Jesus, what, what are we going to do? unbelievable, isn't it?
0: If you, if you eat 50% less meat, and I think that's not an unreasonable thing to do, then you you can pay twice the price for the meat that you do eat. Yeah. And because you've had been veggie for a couple of days, you're really gonna look forward to that meat when it actually comes. So it's a a double whammy. The current farming systems are not geared up for this. They're geared up for cheap meat and they do it with the welfare of the animals. They're the ones who are suffering. Yeah. To produce now,
1: all this, chicken. I want to introduce to this point there's a great New Zealand model, okay, which is about effectively taking out vermin. So, they, you know, all the invasive species, uh, um, species like uh, rabbits, you know, possums, things like that, that they have um, that they need to keep some degree of control, um, you know, they actually will go out and hunt those and use them for their dog food. So, you know, it's just like, you know, we've got some invasive species in this country, which will, um, you know, populate the same farmland as our you know cattle and everything else, which are extensively reared. But why aren't we? You know, we can keep the cost down. We can introduce some of that into the diet, but we have to get our heads around how we can do that to pass the legislation on meat hygiene, etc., yeah. So those are the only bits that we need to look at so that
2: we can achieve that. Uh, the good news is about when people start doing this, by the way, is that an organic farmer needs X amount for his chicken. Okay, Every farmer needs X amount for his animal. And if you shop with that farmer, if they, if they are suddenly inundated with business, they grow more meat, uh, if they can sell their byproducts to the raw dog food companies for more money, suddenly they buy spurious bits, next carcass, uh, gizzards hearts—they weren't worth a lot of money for the organic farmers. Now they have a really lucrative market in raw dog food manufacturers. So suddenly they can charge less for their organic meat to the human sector, which means more people will buy the organic. So I actually see raw dog food, organic, ethical outdoor, rear those guys driving organic meat prices down because they will suddenly be able to be able to produce more birds, and that will be the slow grow there. I think that's a positive thing. In the meantime. I don't believe that we're going to be able to leap to this quickly. There's going to be a decades of this to go. There's going to have to be a transition where, okay, we'll just go for minimum red factor, whatever that means, if it means anything. You guys are telling me, what were you telling me, Nick, there before we came on about free range? Uh,
0: yeah, the definition of free range is that they have access to an outdoor area. So what you can do, technically, you just have to have one small-ish door at one end of an entire chicken shed with 40,000 birds in it uh, that they have access to go outside. And only 2 to 5% of those birds will go out 2 to 5% of the time. That, and then you can put free range on the and
2: it's 50% more expensive in Ireland, guys, for free free range meat. And it's the exact same stuff. It might be okay quality, this barn weird stuff. Someone got organic chicken farmer was telling me, he was just so brutally honest. And he goes... He goes. Do you think that's it's really good for for birds to be sitting outside? He goes. I'm going to have more problems. I'm going to have predation. I'm going to have diseases that I have to worry about. He goes. Do you think I can't use drugs on on organic farms? Wrong. I can. It's a certain amount of time. And it's like Jesus. Is there any good news to be to be had here? Like I thought they were sitting in hedges, just being sung music and eating. And I know for the
1: majority of the populations, you know, it's it's really hard. I mean, it's slightly easier for me because I can go. You know. Uh, half mile. I know the farmer. I know he's rearing the meat. He will supply me with what I need. Um, I've got fields where there's rabbits. Um, you know, uh, yeah, grey squirrels, which are considered a pest because we're trying to get the red squirrels to thrive. You know, we've got um, you know so many overruns of uh, escaped pheasants and things like that that are out there um, that and being shot left, right, and centre as well. Uh, grouse as well. You know, being extensively reared up on the moors. Um, you know all sorts of options that get given to us but a lot of that bypasses the standard meat hygiene you know you have to you know fortunately I'm a vet so I can look in the carcass and know what I'm looking for as to whether it's an okay one to feed to my dogs or not Um, but there are so many people that aren't going to have access to that purely simply on a bacterial fear basis um, uh, that's out there. Yep. So it, it is a problem that needs to be fixed. I'm not giving a solution necessarily here, unfortunately, me but
2: me I was. wish there was a way to make that availability to more of our population. Reward the good companies where you can is definitely one of them. I have a good news story here, guys, which I might not have mentioned before, but because it's about seaweed, I feel like I have to. There's a guy in Scotland who is just unbelievable. Uh, I can't remember his name, but, but his friend, he was called Dodd, that we helped out. So this guy is sequestering carbon faster than anybody else on the planet and he's doing it with seaweed the idea is so simple you guess it's a 40 foot by 40 foot rig a seaweed growing rig is very simple steel drums no plastic for the sea simple little iron or steel bars between them and you drop ropes you don't even have to seed the ropes you can drop those things anywhere and the seeds will populate with with seaweed and in three months You can harvest some savage amount of seaweed. So I know seaweed grows quicker than any other other plant out there. Up to half a foot a day for laminaria that that help the the seals swim through. And it grows under the water, so it takes no land. It actually de-acidifies the water. It's a habitat for fish to live in. It's just, anyway, so much things about seaweed, seaweed. So do you know what else he did? He puts a little mini car crusher on top of this platform. They haul the seaweed up through it chop off the seaweed, leaving the stipes intact so it can grow quicker next time. Now they get a huge, big amount of seaweed, crush it into a big block and throw it over the side. And you're just sequestered. Well, not just throw it over the side. I'm sure there's other plans for it. But they can use gabons for the bottom of the cliffs, make them out of solid seaweed blocks. It's, it's carbon for the ocean that the fish can feed on, live in, swim in. And he can grow them anywhere. So if you want 40,000 tons of highest quality protein, far more nutritious than soy and none of the damage, You can just drop a rig out the back of the plane beside poorer countries and it just grows this protein. They haul it in and there's just this incredibly nutritious protein that grew at sea and cost nothing. But those ideas don't get sponsored by cash, you know, and he's always he's doing it. He's getting small donations because countries have to hit their carbon limits. So the dream is to end on a good note is that as countries are forced to bring their carbon under control, are forced to do it and they won't force big industry because that's not fair. Okay. We get locked into our homes, but it's not okay to stop, you know, chocolate bars being made or cigarettes being sold. That's not fair uh, to take away their rights. But I think that countries, as they're forced to get their carbon under control, they're going to look to these solutions, such as the grassland ideas that we're talking about. And that will speed up how quickly "Mm, maybe there is a bit of sense to, you know, putting goats in the highlands or using seaweed. And the more natural, more normal, everyday ways we used to do it are going to come back because they're going to be forced to do it via carbon taxation. Uh, that's what i think Um, and i also think the public are going to have to be forced via carbon taxation not have to be it's going to happen people won't like it clearly when i mention on my page they go bananas but people will say you can buy this beef for five times the cost of chicken because the carbon is more expensive and people will be forced to make these decisions they'll be forced to eat less meat modern meat practices produce so much carbon that that will become a carbon expensive product I think that's the way it's going. And then the public will bend because a good taxation bends public will, doesn't it? So uh that's I don't know if that's a good news or a bad news story, actually. I went into the bad news. I started off well. Final thoughts. Look, you know, I just thanks for all of those people commenting, you yeah, know, all got a
1: valid point of view and I, I'd love to see their thoughts. Um this is not necessarily the classic nutritional thing that we were going to discuss tonight, but I think from a point of view of, you know, it it interests us. And, and it sort of, you know, enhances what we feel ethically we want to be achieving. Um, and so, and it interests it us enough when we were talking down in Birmingham uh, and we, we did start that conversation then and, and we've sort of like been talking about it since. So it's great. It's amazing how quickly the time has flown, uh, you know, just yeah. uh, opening that topic. Um, and uh, yeah, maybe we need to revisit that with uh, some of these experts that are out there, um, yeah. to, you know, try and see. If we can actually make a change. Yeah. yeah. No, non sustainable
2: yeah. clothing next week, I think, guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: so, guys well, like I did, any- did say about my uh, recycling reef product. Anyway, <laughs> so. that's a good idea.
2: Yes, your shirt. Brilliant, brilliant. And I volunteered
1: to go out to uh, California and interview
2: Nicolette. Is that You're so generous? <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I want to go to for Brendan. Listen, as always, guys, you'll find us on patreon.com forward slash raw pet medics. Uh, please, uh, that if you can afford the price of a cup of coffee so Bren and Nick can keep buying books and reading them and filling us with knowledge, that will really, really help us uh, because we can just pump them for information, so to speak. That's Raw Pet Medics on patreon.com. Uh, any, anything uh, helps and we really appreciate it. If you don't have it, no sweat. We're going to be here every week anyway because we love it. All right. Pleasure, lads. I love that. Do it again. Do it again soon. Brilliant. <laughs>